A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Let's pray as we get into the Word. So, Father, we come before you this evening. God, again, thankful for your Word as a whole, but, God, thankful for this book of Genesis that, God, you have reminded us and you've made it possible to instill in us the truth of creation, the truth of design, and the truth of um, our purpose as well, Lord. And so, God, we ask that as we dive into chapter 2 this evening, that you would continue to teach us, Father, that you would continue to sanctify us, that you would continue to teach us how it is that we should live in a way that glorifies you in all that we do. So, Lord, we ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. All right. So, if you guys would... um, Move over to the slide that lays out all of the creation of man topics. Um, We are in Genesis chapter 2 as we take on the second part of this series within the first couple chapters of Genesis called the creation of man. And last week, let's see if they can find it. I'm going to put Dylan on the spot here. You'll have the three separate parts. Keep going. Okay, so they're all gone. Anyway. <clears throat> huh? Oh, okay. Well, that's all right. The, um, so today, as we look at everything, the second part, we're going to be looking at the creation of man part two, but specifically that man was not meant to be alone. Last week, as we looked at man's creation, we were reminded that Adam and Eve were created together. We were reminded that man was created in part to have dominion over parts of God's creation and to glorify him in that. And then next week, um, as we look at the final part, we're going to see the fall um, of man in our sin. But today, we're going to look at an interesting part, especially when it comes to um, our relationships with one another, but especially in marriage that God did determine that it was not good that we be alone. Now, I I do want to put this preface out here, um, especially as we do have the conference coming up, because I don't want to de-emphasize other things, is that as we're looking at all of this, we typically tend to speak of it in marriage because we're specifically looking at a married couple here. But as there are many more of us alive today, we can also find that God is able to sustain us, one, absolutely by his character and his peace, but we can also be sustained in the friendship found in the church that he has established for us should we not have the caller designation of a spouse. But today we are going to be looking at that specifically, and so there's other ways to not be alone, but today we will look at Adam being provided a partner or a bride. And so if you were in uh, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter together. Verse 1, would you say amen? It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created and in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gehon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Syria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat it, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man when while he <clears throat> slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right. <clears throat> so as we take a look at this, we're gonna break it down a little bit. And in the first half of the chapter, we're going to see God conclude creation with day seven and then we're going to see God provide us a little bit more description into how man was created where he was placed and why woman was created there with it and so first we see I'm just going to read again for the sake of um, our place verse one thus the heavens of the earth were finished and all the hosts of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here, the holy day of rest. 
Now, as we look at this, I think this is something, actually, I believe, I do know, that when the Lord declares something holy, we have to believe that it is. The believer does not have the room or the authority to think otherwise. We shouldn't despise or reject any practice that God has deemed as holy for himself and thus must be holy for us. But God would continue to explain later in Scripture, if you want to go ahead and bookmark it for later, Exodus 20, 8 through 11, God would remind the people of Israel of the importance of rest at the end of their work week. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we're not going to dive too much into this because I know that we've spoken recently about our call to set aside a Sabbath day and to make sure we prioritize rest when we're going through the book of Matthew, but I don't want to glance over it either. But as we look through Scripture, as we consider what the Sabbath is, is it's not a specific day, but it's a a day of the week, but it's a specific time that we would be filled not only with rest itself, but by God himself as well, that we would be rejuvenated to continue to move forward in the work that he has called us to do. And I think it's important that we consider it for a moment because whether we're in ministry or not in ministry, we tend to, especially in this country, run until we have absolutely no fuel left. And once we have no fuel, if, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, you're looking at the gas gauge in your car, the needle's on E, and I'm saying this because I've done this, it is now a challenge to see how far I can make it in my car while on E. Now, that's just in the application of driving, but many of us have done this in our workplaces. We've done this in ministry. We know we're on E, but we consider it a challenge not to rest, but a challenge to see how far we can go. And what we find oftentimes is that the results are disastrous because we should have sat down a long time ago. Oftentimes we look at the day of rest as a punishment rather than what it actually is as a holy day, and it is a blessing. And then we get a little bit defensive because we have what we see in Colossians when uh, Paul says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. I've heard many times people use that in a wrong context to defend the fact that they never take a day off. But what Paul is actually encouraging us is to not get bent out of shape about what the day is, but to ensure that we are in fact taking a day. Now, we know that it can't be specifically about a day. As we look through Scripture and we see the call of the Levitical priesthood is that as everyone was resting and as people were making sacrifices, the ministers were busy at work. And so their Sabbath day must have had to have been another day. As we look at Paul's ministry, we see that he was very deliberate to make sure he was doing the work of ministry on the Sabbath. And so there we see that the Sabbath must have been on another day. But still, all of these were required to set a day aside for rest as God has determined it to be what? Holy. 
And so brothers and sisters, if we are honest for a moment, we do have to consider, do we consider a day of rest to be holy and important? Are we making time for ourselves to honor that day, not for our own physical rehabilitation, but so that we would honor the Lord as we are commanded by him with a day of rest, to make sure that he is the foremost focus of one of our days. And I'll say again, as your pastor, this is a really challenging thing to do because in ministry, there's ministry always finds a way to eat up our time. And so I am no stranger to this, but still, and I'd say church, you are responsible to hold your pastors and leaders accountable to make sure that they are honoring the whole of the word of God and making sure that they are taking time as the Lord has commanded them to do as well. Pastors' wives are all shaking their heads right now, I'm sure. My wife is in the back room, I'm sure, agreeing wholeheartedly. Let's make sure that we rest, brothers and sisters, as we have commanded to do so, but even more importantly, the fact that we want to do what is holy by the Lord. Then in verse 4, we see God acknowledge or bring creation or the act of creation to a close. He says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then in verse 5, we make it into something new. Now, as we look at verse 5 on, I want to remind you what we're actually talking about here. Because if you're looking at it at 3,000 feet, or you're trying to read it very quickly, it seems like we have already run into a major contradiction in Scripture as God is beginning to explain creation that was supposed to have already been done. But we're going to take a minute and break it down and understand what's actually happening here. Verses 5 through 9, please read along with me one more time. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small, small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And out of the ground the Lord, made, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here, <clears throat> again, at a quick glance, these couple verses seem to be in contradiction to the whole of chapter 1, but remember, chapter 2 is a greater description or a more detailed description of what was happening within creation. But even then, some of you might say, well, why in the world are plants being made if plants were already made in some of the other details? Well, I would say that while we're looking in greater detail of creation, it's important to note that we're looking at the beginnings of the Garden of Eden specifically and the beginnings of man and also the beginnings of what some would call the circle of life or renewed life. And so let's just take a second. Again, this is about the making of the Garden of Eden and all that was within it. This is a, an additional description to the full and complete life that already exists. So first, we have to remember this. Genesis 1, in all of creation that God described, at the end, he always said it was done and that it was good. This is 
complicated to understand, and this is why faith is absolutely necessary to believe Genesis 1, is that whenever God made something, he made it in its fullness, fully developed, fully knowing how to function, and completely done. This isn't a question of whether the egg and the chicken, or which one was made first. The chicken was made first, and it was given the ability to continue to reproduce from there. There weren't just a bunch of eggs laying around waiting for chickens to sprout forth. The chickens were placed there first. So remember, Genesis 1, all of these things were made completely. This is now speaking to the secondary form or also, or and also, the beginnings of this specific garden. These are the plants that would begin to be cultivated by the seedlings that would fall, and again, the cultivating of this particular place. And as we look at this, man was in part also created to cultivate the new life that was about to spring forth. And so now in Genesis, we see two dedications for man is that we were created to have dominion over parts of the earth, but we were also created so that we would be able to take care of the soil within the places that God had placed us. And this here is Eden. And so here, as these things begin to develop, he begins to make man. And notice this, as he, he forms him in his completeness, but he is still a statue of sorts. And <clears throat> this is something I think we would need to recall back to Genesis 1 to consider how man is different than other creations, is that man was created as an image and also as a likeness. So, <clears throat> he sees that something needs to exist in order to make sure this garden is going to flourish, and he begins to form man out of the clay. As he forms him, his, complete, his creation is not done. Man would lay lifeless at this state, but what God would continue to do is to breathe his life into him. God would mold man out of the dirt and make him in his image, this would be a likeness, literally now a statue, a model, a drawing, or a shadow, an impression of God is being molded. And then here in his breath, we see the likeness of God installed in man. And so here, verses five through nine show us new life in a new garden. Then in verses 10 through 14, we see further details of what Eden is. It says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. Now, as you read this, I encourage you to go home and do your homework to see where this place is so that you would have an idea of what's being described because some of these rivers are still intact and have this name today. But this is where Eden is and this was its place and its purpose and this is the water that was flourishing there within it. <clears throat> the garden was planted following the creation of man and in this garden was a tree of life and the knowledge and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now as you consider that all of these things existed man existed it was called good they have the form or the image and the likeness of God but this tree is still here and I want us to consider this for next week as we look specifically at the fall is the tree of life is there, but also is the knowledge of good and evil. Please note this for later. 
is consider what has happened so far from Genesis 1 to this point in Genesis chapter 2. God has formed a world out of nothing, and in every iteration of creation, he has called it good. He has formed man in his image, and he has formed him in his likeness, and he has called it good. He has placed it in a garden that is going to be infinitely beneficial to him and is about to give him more direction, and we see that it is good as only goodness exists to this point. And what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3 as man will be deceived next week, is that the only knowledge gained by man by partaking in that fruit is the knowledge of evil, because good is all that we knew. We did not gain increased knowledge of good as we were wholly encompassed by it, but it is evil that was introduced to the mind of man, but we'll look at that next week. So here, this river that was feeding the garden it was supplying life to man. It was split into these four rivers. We now see <clears throat> our only caution, verses 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat it, you shall surely die. And so, <clears throat> this is our only caution. Now, <clears throat> as we look at this, as we live in a world where everything is good and man has free reign to have dominion over God's creation, we look at this one thing that man has been called absolutely not to do, and some of us might even consider, well, there's my bound. That's, my, that's the one thing I want to reject. We see Adam and Eve most certainly would in one place. But as we're given a caution, I want us to more importantly note the freedom that man actually is able to exist in here at this time as they are living in what, has, what God has determined is good. They live in a world that is free for them to rule with only one rule in place, there was only one bound they couldn't cross. And here, I would say, is a wonderful reminder as we consider what it is we're walking into in salvation. Because there, is many, <clears throat> there are many men and women who would refrain from calling on the name of Christ because the only thing they can consider are the bounds that would be provided to them by the Lord that would no longer allow them to live in sin. And so while there are certainly bounds and there are certainly safeguards and there are certainly things God would call sin, in our sin, we forget about the freedom that we would truly have in Christ. And Adam and Eve had true freedom. They were living in true goodness. We have to remember that as we move into salvation, Paul would even say that we have become slaves to righteousness. There we find true freedom. Romans six fifteen through 23 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, 
that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of our or your natural limitations. For just as you were, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so as we consider creation and as we consider salvation, I think it's important to remember this section of scripture because while bounds exist as we seek to honor and glorify the Lord in all things, it is not the bounds that the Christian functions in, or sorry, functions against. Let me consider how I'm saying this for a second. It is not the bounds of sin that the Christian is concerned about, but the freedom that we now have in Christ. I was talking with the pastors about this the other day, and it was, it's interesting that in salvation, these things that we used to care so much about no longer seem to be a concern or care for us at all. There's actually things that I used to partake in that now when I hear, view, see, or even walk by, my spirit tends to wince at. I no longer desire to go outside of the bounds of holiness, but I choose to exist within them as a new desire has been installed within me. And so if there is anyone here who considers salvation as a burden, you can't consider it that because you are now being set free from the decisions that currently bind you that are currently, as Paul would say, leading you unto death. But in Christ, we see that this new desire, this new mind in Christ, and this Holy Spirit that's been installed in us is leading us into righteousness, which leads us into eternal life. It might seem like there are lots of restrictions, but freedom is truly found there as I no longer live in a life and I'm no longer making decisions in which I need to be concerned of the repercussions for them. As I know as I walk in holiness, I can only be blessed by the Lord, but when I walk in sin, I have to be concerned about the ramifications, not only from God, but from the men who I tend to wrong as I'm walking in it. And so here, our only caution, while it is a major one, man is still walking in freedom at this point. <clears throat> and so next, <clears throat> as we're looking at the creation of man, we're going to look specifically at this part of it's not good to be alone. Verses 18 through 25, there's two main points I want us to consider here is that man was provided for while he was faithfully at work and that God also has caring provision for his creation. He has caring provision for those who walk in salvation. Now, really quick, just read these final verses with me together. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So first, we're going to look at faithfully at work. As we look at this task, God has given Adam a call. He has given him work to accomplish. Again, we saw last week that they are man and woman have been called to have dominion over the earth, but he puts him in the garden and he gives him the task of taking care of it. But now we see that Adam is also tasked with making sure that he names all of these creations. And he names them all. He completes the tasks of naming the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. Now, this might seem like a weird detail to get focused on, but I think, I I believe it's something we should focus on. Now, as we talk about creation, faith is absolutely required to believe it, but when we are flippant to discuss creation, we can already make an extravagant story even more difficult to believe. Now, as we look at the details, the details we're given are really important because a lot of times we would say something like, well, Adam created a name for every single living thing. Now, for the skeptic, what you have just done is you have given them fuel to say, so you're telling me Adam gave a name to every living thing, which would include all the creatures of the sea, which would include include every creature that crawls within the dirt and under the earth and all of these things. Well, Scripture never actually says that. And so as we consider the details, please consider them to be important because what God actually says is the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But we also see God divinely involved in the naming of these creatures as what does it say that God does for him? It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man. Now again, this is another important detail. As we consider creation, a lot of times we let the imagination run. It's like, all right, so is Adam scouring the earth trying to find every single one of these creatures that he might name them is no, we're seeing divine intervention similar to the Lord leading the animals two by two onto the ark. He is leading all of these creations to Adam so that Adam might name them. And we see that he completes that work. God has brought these, these creatures to him. And I might say, I thought this was funny. This was probably one of the only creations within Genesis chapter one and two that we don't see God say that it is good. I don't know what Adam was calling those creatures, but God left that part out. So do that with what you will. So he sees Adam at work and he's given him this work. And this is important for us to remember because a lot of times as we consider a spouse, and I've been able to, been blessed to be able to speak to this a few times, and I think as I recall my relationship, and I, I wanna make sure I make something super clear, 
is the beginning of my wife and I's relationship was not ideal because she wasn't called to be my wife. It was not ideal because we chose to walk in sin instead. The Lord has blessed me with a wife who is a perfect partner and a perfect helper. She is a perfect fit for me and she's a perfect fit for the ministry that I am called to. I couldn't have asked for a greater blessing, especially considering the way that I chose to start this. But here, when I was looking for a bride, or not looking, I think looking for fun is probably more, a more apt way to describe what was happening. <clears throat> I was growing up in church, but I would say I was not looking for a helper in life. And there are many young men and women that I have conversations with, and some who are a little bit older that would wonder, well, how in the world do I go about finding a spouse? And I would say, run to Genesis chapter 2. As you see God give Adam a very clear call in a direction in life, either in task, or we can even make an argument for ministry, not an argument, but we can have a conversation about it. But still, Adam is walking obediently to the direction that God has placed in front of him. Now, this direction I'm about to provide is only for those of you who are single and not married yet. For those of you who are in a relationship married, there's recourse that God can do to restore a relationship that needs to be restored. But if you're looking, please consider this for a moment as my microphone has just died out. Is it me? It's not me. So I'm going to talk a little bit louder until the microphone turns back on. But here we see Adam, oh, there it is, serving faithfully. <clears throat> and I want to remind men and women here what God is about to do for Adam, he does it for Adam as he is serving faithfully at the task God has given him. As there's a lot of times we wonder why God isn't providing us a spouse and isn't providing us direction, but we haven't considered it at all that I'm not doing anything. As God is about to intervene because he sees that Adam is in need of something, but there's a lot of times we sit on our hands kind of twiddling our thumbs if that is us today, wondering why God hasn't provided a helper. But, I would, but what I would ask is, it doesn't seem like you need much help doing the nothing that you're doing. It doesn't seem like it would be beneficial to drag another life into the non-direction that you're walking in. And so here, what we see is God is about to intervene for a man who is faithfully walking out the call God has put on his life. Now, <clears throat> this is when we move to caring provision, the caring provision God expresses to his creation. Now, I would note, we go back to verse 18, because this is, I think, one of the most important sections of, or verses of this part. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. After that verse, we continue to see Adam work. He continues to have all of these creatures brought to him, and he sees them each with a partner that is fit for him. We, it is safe to assume that Adam might have had some kind of anticipation that he might come across his helper, because in verse 20, it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. 
This hasn't deterred Adam from doing his work. This hasn't taken away a hopeful anticipation. He's working nonetheless. But here, what's most important is God recognized the need for a partner well before it could have been determined by Adam. This is a characteristic about our God that should bring comfort to the mind of all of us who would be considered believers or disciples. This is a form of God's omniscience that is being expressed right now. And what is omniscience, some of you might ask? That is the state of having total knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. And as we're speaking about God, who can exist outside of time, he can know everything in past, present, and future. And so God is aware of something well before Adam is. Adam is putting his hands to work, and God has already determined that he is going to need a helper before he's even got to the point of being tired or discouraged yet. So Adam continues to work faithfully. God hasn't changed his mind. He's still acknowledging the reality that exists here. Adam completes his work and sees that he is lacking something that the rest of creation is not. And so as Adam has now seen through his faithful work that he is lacking something, God already has a plan to rectify that thing that was lacking in his life. And what happens? It says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And as he causes this deep sleep to fall upon the man, he pulls the rib from his side and he mends the wound and makes the woman from the rib he pulled from him. Now, men in the room, I think this is important, and men who are viewing online, because I would say in the world we live in today, and it has actually been historically accurate of wicked men and unwise men for all of history to assume that the provision of woman was a provision of a creature that was less significant than ourselves. As we have wrongfully assumed, many of us, that we have provided a lesser tool, a less intelligent partner, or something that is, exists to just be fondled. But brothers and sisters, please note one, again, chapter one, Adam and Eve were created and both were commanded to have dominion over the earth. This was a partnership that they would work together to conquer all the things that were put in front of them. We see order established within the relationship, but it does not degrade the woman's contribution to the dominion that should be established by both. But even then, what is Adam's response to this amazing blessing? This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There is nowhere in scripture that supports the belittling or degrading of women from Genesis until Revelation. Women were provided to us and to the rest of creation to be a blessing, to be a help, 
which means that they are able to be a substantial aid to us. And if God determined that the aid was necessary, then it means that we could not do what was necessary without them. And so brothers, if there's anybody, if there's any of you in here who would ever be inclined to consider your wife or women to be a less than substantial partner, open your Bible and read what God has to say about them himself. Open your word and read what men of God have to say about the women that God has blessed them with. This is at last bone of my bones. This is a blessing and a helper worth celebrating and worth cherishing. Paul would remind men that they are to treat their brides as the most cherished object within their home. And I think that there are very few of us men, even within the church, who if our, if our wives were asked how we viewed them, there are very few who would say that they feel anything like the most cherished object within our homes. And if you want to have a substantial help and you want to have a blessing within your home, begin to think like Adam. Begin to think like the Lord and recognize that you need help and she's been provided to be that to you. As you two continue to walk towards the Lord together, this union will only go stronger and the dominion that you two will have will only grow greater. God expressed caring provision in the creation of women. That's exactly what they are. They are the expression of God's loving care to man. And thank God, I don't know how many of you have ever lived with dudes for any kind of time. This world would be a messed up place if that was it. But really consider, are we men encouraging not only ourselves, but our peers? And this is a real question because I have watched men who consider themselves to be righteous let unrighteous men belittle women in every degree. You brothers, if you really consider your wives and you consider women to be the blessing that they are, we cannot allow it. We can't allow it in speech. We can't allow it in action. And the world might look at you to be, the, to be a fool, but to be condemned by the world is no matter as long as we are blessed by God. And you are never not going to be blessed by God should you defend his creation. And here, the celebration happens. He sees his partner. He sees the one who has been cultivated and created just for him. And then direction is given. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And here, while, while we can consider the, this, the sexual nature of this verse, it, is, it goes so far beyond this. We have been raised by our fathers and mothers to think a certain way. Lord willing, we have been given fathers and mothers that would lead us and wash us with the word that we would be inclined to do that. 
But as a husband and his wife come together, they come together in every aspect so that they would be in union of mind, body, and spirit. And we're not getting all like weird hippie about this. We're talking scripturally. We're talking about the blessing to have a counterpart that would correct us and remind us to strive for holiness. And wives, in here as well, this isn't just gonna be a recall for husbands, but for wives. Consider your role. You have been created to be a help and not a burden. You have been created to be an aid, to be an equal partner in the work. The work. I can say it again. I don't think I need to, but we got it. I have seen so many women who live in misery as they strive to be pampered and not partakers in the work God has created them for. Women, you are designed to be cherished, not pampered. That's a different thing. You were designed to be utilized, not neglected. You were designed to be loved, not worshiped. And there are many women who strive to be worshiped by their husbands, and then they find themselves left by the wayside as they're an untouchable object in their home and they've been left behind while their spouses go and do whatever the work is but I remind you that you will find blessing and you will find satisfaction as you both strive to walk together in the will of God. Hold fast to her, hold fast to him, become one flesh. And then it closes out, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, remembering, brothers and sisters, that they are still living in a world that is called good, at this time. There was nothing to be ashamed of yet. And so here, as we bring this second part to a close, that it was not good. God determined that it was not good that man be alone. Are we considering, one, are we doing the work of the Lord so that it could be determined that we would need help in the first place? And are we surrounding ourselves with those? This is both for the person who is seeking a spouse and those who are not called to have one. Are you surrounding yourself with people who would be a help for the work and holiness and righteousness of God? Because where we often go astray is that we invite people into our lives who have no intention to be a partner with us in any of those things. They want to be a partner with us in fun. They want to be a partner with us in immorality. They want to be a partner with us in sexuality. They want to be a partner with continue to fill in the blank for whatever it is. But for your friends and for your spouse, do you have a partner? Do you have a helper? Do you have friends that seek to uphold your holiness? that seek to see you strive and be successful in your calling. Because it's a wonderful thing when you know that you're surrounded by people who would fight for the righteousness in your life. That's the big question, right? Do we have people in our lives that are fighting for the righteousness within ours? Because I would say for the married couples who are in here, 
sometimes it can be difficult to make other couple friends, right? I think that's because people are weird, right? Like, I, I don't want to hang out with people all the time. But consider your friend group outside of your home. Are they going to fight for your marriage the way that is necessary? Or are you surrounded by friends who would, at the very moment, have an opportunity to dig and degrade your marriage? Take it. Some of you might be rolling your eyes at that consideration, but I have, I and every pastor, every minister, every church leader has seen it. The second there's an argument in a home, if you have a poor group of friends, one of them is gonna speak up and encourage you to do something that is unholy and something that is going to destroy your household. Husbands, you will be, con, you will be encouraged to despise the blessing that has been provided to you and wives, you will be encouraged to do the same. Find friends. Find others that would encourage you to strive to hold fast to the blessing God has given you. Amen? Let's stand and pray together as we invite the worship team back up. <clears throat> so Lord, God, we ask this evening that you would Help us consider whether we're still walking in the goodness of God. And Lord, if we're not, we pray that you would give us, Father, a, an idea or a revelation or an inclination or, Father, just any kind of direction as to how we could continue or maybe for the first time pursue holiness within our home. And Lord, for those of us here, both in marriage and outside of marriage, God, we pray that you would as we work faithfully, provide us the help that we need. And Lord, we even ask beyond that, that Father, while we wait for the help, God, we pray that we would be satisfied in who you are. Because Lord, while we didn't note it, I'm thinking about it now, that Father, while, while Adam was working and he was alone, he still wasn't complaining because Lord, you were there. God, I pray that you would install in us a spirit that wouldn't complain. But Father, we would understand what it is to be satisfied with your presence. That we would be satisfied with your provision. That Father, we would be satisfied in your work. So Lord, we, thank, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for these examples. And God, we pray that you would Again, provide us direction as to how we could apply these things. We pray that you would protect our homes should any of these spiritual battles come against it even now. And that, Lord, you would remind us that, Father, if we would walk in the goodness of God, it is always worth the fight. We ask this in your name. Amen. <laughs>